not everyone comes in with understanding what we do and how we do it and and I think it's about building a relationship really quickly and and how you can I guess just make everyone leave with a smile on their face but doing it their way as well as your own and I think that's something that we sort of remember all the time at Regatsi as well. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A few times now on the show, we've talked to people that have made a transition from the front of house to the kitchen, lured by food and cookery. Some go the other way after learning their craft in commercial kitchens. They break out to be customer facing and run the restaurant. What's it like leaving the apron behind and forging a career in the front of house? Laura Hughes is the restaurant manager of Regazzi in Sydney. Laura, how are you? Well, how are you? I'm good. It's great to get you on the show. You're leading the team of a cracking little restaurant there in the centre of Sydney. How are things? Busy, I guess, you know, this time of the year. (laughs) Um, But going really well, I guess. I'm happy. Tell us a little bit about Regazzi. It's sort of tucked away, hidden little gem that, you know, many people might not know about it. Um, that's exactly how I would describe it, a tiny little gem um, tucked away in the corner. Um, a lot of people sort of think that we're the back entrance to something else because we're such a small little venue. No, that's it. You walk in and people sort of say, where's the rest of it? Which is quite a, a funny reaction that some people have. Um, Regazzi is sort of a bit of a powerhouse. It's it's fun. It's pumping. We're always busy, um, which is a really, really good thing as well. And it's just... You know, as regatsi means sort of, it means mates really, and that's genuinely what we try and do with our customers and and the vibe that we present in the restaurant. And you know, it should be that fun place that you can come and have a quick plate of pasta with your friends, or you know, you walk in on your own and have a glass of wine and off you go. So it's sort of a really fun space that it can be what you want it to be as well. And we do get those people that sort of in and out, or people that want to sit around a little bit longer. So. It's a, it's a fun little spot. Um, definitely keeps me busy, but, um, but yeah, it's really good fun, actually. Tell us a little bit about sort of the offering. You did mention a little bit about pasta and wine there, but what, what's, what's a meal like at Regazzi? Um, so, we, it's pretty um, produce-specific, I would say. Um, every, it's the ch- menu changes every day. So, we have about five little snack options varying in size, some of them little bite-sized pieces, then going through to larger options. Um, and then we have our main course section is just pasta. So, um, we offer a couple of sides, a few desserts, scoops of ice creams, bits and pieces. But generally, we see sort of if it's all designed to be shared and everything. So, we s- sort of see people grab two or three little snacks, bite-sized pizza pieces, and then move on to sort of a pasta each um, and then a, a little affogato or something to finish off for dessert. Um, I have seen one table of two eat the entire menu, which was b- both impressive and a little bit concerning. Um, but um, it's like I said, it's sort of one of those spaces that you can do whatever you want to do. And some people don't want to share, but, you know, it, it is designed or to be shared like a family-style meal. The last couple of years have been sort of challenging for everyone and the centre of the city was quiet for some time. It, it's a thing sort of different now. You mentioned that it's busy, but is it different? Very much so. Um, I think even comparing this Christmas to last Christmas and people's attitude and obviously we've got some financial um, crisis things happening in the world 
um, which is definitely coming into play, I think. Um, last year, I found people were sort of excited to be out because it was the first year after COVID. Whereas this year, I think people are a little bit more um, maybe cautious or they think a little bit more about what they're spending. I know I certainly do in my personal life. Um, but I guess the city specifically, Thursday is our new Friday. Thursday is absolutely insane. Um, Friday lunch, we still get a busy lunch. Um, but everyone sort of, you know, we, we see a lot of people that want to work from home on Friday instead. So they go out on Thursday night. So, yeah, we've definitely seen that, that weekend shift where Thursday sort of become the new Friday night. Tell us a little bit about your role. What, what does it encompass? Um, my role is all-encompassing, really. Um, it's quite a hands-on position. So, um, uh, during service, I'll be hosting or, you know, taking a section, all those bits and pieces. Um, there's no sort of wandering around um, supervising or anything. It's very much a hands-on role, um, doing the dishes and everything. Um, we have a head sommelier and two assistant managers as well. Um, so just making sure that they're being supported, mentored, and their development is being looked after as well as the operational side of the business. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, all the other general restaurant manager tasks, you know, making sure the rosters are written and the targets are being managed properly. And then as well, making sure all the customers are happy at the end of the day. You made a transition um, from the back of house to the front of house over a sort of a, a, a bit of a period of time. Um, why did you make that transition? It was an interesting choice for me. I think most of my, a lot or a large portion of my um, commercial kitchen experience was over in the UK and it's quite a different um, environment over there. And what you experience in the UK is probably uh, a little bit different to here. And I was sort of finding that I was at the point where I was starting to maybe get a little bit jaded and wasn't sort of enjoying it as much as I had previously. And so I thought I'm going to take a little bit of a break and just sort of reassess. Um, when I first went into hospitality, when I was, you know, 16, I was a waitress from day one and bartending and all those bits and pieces um, through high school. So I had had some basic front of house experience. And then I think what sort of pushed me to do it as a full-time role um, was when I was working in open kitchens in the UK. And I think just the general reaction of when the chef, we would run the food over to the table and people were so excited and so happy to see you and wanted to talk to you. And I think that the excitement that I had for food, I was finally seeing it translate and having people share their expression and their excitement with me and go, this is amazing. What did you do? And just seeing that people's faces light up was sort of, you know, a little bit intoxicating. And I was sort of like, well, I, I want more of this. And I'm, I'm a little bit more of a people person and I found sometimes kitchens could be a little bit, and again, particularly in the UK, a little bit overly competitive and in some ways negative. And then, I don't know, I just found being in front of house a little bit lighter and people are generally a little bit more excited. Well, I want to explore what you're doing at Ragazzi in detail a bit further on, but take us back to when you were young. Whereabouts did you grow up and what sort of role did food play? 
I grew up in a small, at the time it was a small town called Austral in the back of um, Liverpool, Western Sydney suburbs. Um, yeah, um, at the time it was all sort of farmland. So I grew up on acreage and our neighbours actually rented um, a portion of our land and grew vegetables that they would sell at the local markets, um, which was really good fun. Um my food background as a kid was quite basic and I think in some ways that's probably what pushed me to explore the option of, hang on, there's got to be something else out there. Mum, God love her, is a terrible cook. No offence if she's listening. Um, <laughs> she is not the chef of the family by any means. Um, but I guess my first real experience of food and my first positive memory of food was when my dad would cook bacon and eggs for us over the campfire outside. We'd have a little fire and he cooked bacon and eggs one night and I honestly thought he was a magician. I was like, this is the best thing in the world. How did you do that? <laughs> you know, such a simple, innocent, young memory um, was always sort of piqued my interest. Um Mum's version of vegetables on the table was a bag of peas, carrot and corn and my my sister would eat them frozen. So, you know, I hated vegetables growing up because it was like, hang on, what are these little cubes doing on my plate? Like I didn't get it. And then it wasn't until I realised what a, what a carrot actually looked like in whole and how it can taste being left alone was sort of transformative for me. You mentioned uh, that when you were 16, you sort of cut your teeth in the front of house of, of uh, hospitality. Um, what, what, was, what was that sort of experience like for you at the time? Um, it was full on, to be honest. I think I worked in a sort of more local style restaurant, um, but it would have been one of the busiest at the time as well. So I sort of went sort of straight into it um, and just always sort of found that naturally I understood what was happening around me and obviously you know you learn and you need tweaks and things like that but it was the buzz that I enjoyed and and those busy services where you're like oh that was so much fun tonight you know we got absolutely slammed but it was a great service it was that sort of adrenaline that sort of kept me interested I guess. When did you make the transition into the kitchen? Um, I was about 18 so just after high school, um, being a chef was something that I always wanted to do and there's family videos of me at seven years old saying that I wanted to be a chef. Um, and then when I hit sort of 16, 17 in senior school, um, I was sort of maybe steered away from that a little bit um, and actually found myself doing a science degree in uni. Um, I did want... Yeah, very different. Um, I did one semester and realised it was absolutely not for me. Um, like, was good at it, enjoyed it, but at the same time I was like, this is just, there's something missing here and this is not where I'm supposed to be. Um, so I left and decided that that was it. I was going to actually go and do my apprenticeship like I always wanted to do. And I, that's, that's exactly what I did. Tell us about uh, what that apprenticeship was like. Do you have any stories of sort of the experiences you had? Um, again, I went to 
one of the busiest places I probably could have found to do an apprenticeship. <laughs> um, I actually did my apprenticeship at Pendolino, which is really funny because I started in pasta and now I'm back in pasta. So, <laughs> um, a little bit, exactly, yeah, full circle there. Um, but that was sort of um, a, probably a little bit of culture shock, but also amazing. Um I think one of the hardest parts for me was I was living an hour and a half each way commute away from work. So my 45-hour working week turned into, you know, 60 hours just purely because of the travel that I was doing. Um, But my apprenticeship itself was pretty great for the most part. Um, I was lucky enough, I guess, to be – left with a little bit of autonomy and that was something that I love and I always sort of find myself in natural natural positions of leadership and that was something that I was sort of allowed to do and they sort of let me take over the section almost straight away and my I guess my funniest memory of working there or my my first actually my trial shift of my apprenticeship um one of the CDPs or or someone else was that was working at there at the time that had been there for quite a while um, was giving me a few tasks to do and there was one moment where she sort of looked at me like I was a little bit stupid and was like, why don't you understand like what I'm asking you to do? And I was like, I haven't even like started TAFE yet. I haven't actually like, I don't, I actually don't know what I'm doing. And she was like, oh, oh, okay, that's a little bit different. Like you are a genuine first year. But then I remember at the end of my trial, her coming to me and saying, oh, considering you've never actually worked or done TAFE, you know, you, you're going to go well here. And I was like, oh, you know, and it was, and I think it was those moments of kindness along my apprenticeship that I've sort of really held on to. Um, yeah. We've had Nino Zakali on the show before. What's what's he like to work with? Uh, he's great. He was always that person that would pop in and he shook everybody's hand. He would say hello to you and ask you how you're doing. And that was something that I had a huge amount of respect for because there aren't a lot of people like that in the world, not, not just chefs, a lot of people like that in the world. Um, but he was always really lovely and really warm and sort of reminded you why he started the business and it was a, it was meant to be family style and all of the recipes, all of the ideas came from his hometown in, in Italy and his family and it was always sort of about remembering why he was doing it, which was really inspiring and lovely. Tell us about the UK. You mentioned that a lot of your experience was over there. What was it like for you when you first landed there? Um, insane culture shock and I was so incredibly out of my depth and I didn't even know it until I, you know, was six months in and could take a breath. Um, I made it as hard as possible for myself. I went straight into the fat dark, um, obviously being a three Michelin star restaurant. Um, yep, (laughs) I, I like to challenge myself, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, so, and I remember on my first day, they were sort of saying, yep, your shift is a 14 hour shift. And I was like, sorry, what, what do you mean? (laughs) Even just as simple as, you know, the shift times and lengths and 
what you were going to be doing on the day and how they worked and how meticulous they were was just a complete eye-opener for me. And, and I loved that experience and I love it for what it was. And I think I very quickly realized that maybe three Michelin star wasn't probably the area that I wanted to stay in, um, that I sort of enjoy, I guess, a little bit of scope of work. And, you know, these people are so trained in their craft and they hone their skill. And I guess for me, I guess I want to see more and I want to do more. And that was sort of something that interested me when I went and worked in other kitchens. And my next job after that was at Pollen Street Social and I was um, in the pastry section and I was doing chocolate and sugar and this and that. And it was so eye-opening and such an incredible experience again. You worked at uh, some amazing restaurants in the UK. What what really stands out for you, and is there a person that um, had a big influence on you in that t- in your time there? Um, I think probably the restaurant that most um, inspired or transformed my view on hospitality, more so than just cooking, would be at Brat with Thomas Parry. Um, just his approach to food and his ethos about leaving things alone. And, you know, my experience up until that point was all tweezer work and everything had to be perfect and, you know, to the millimetre. If you didn't cut the vegetable to within one millimetre, you had to start again. Um, and I remember coming to Brett and I had my tweezers on me and Thomas and all the boys just sort of laughed at me. They were like, get rid of them. You don't need them. I don't want them. Get rid of them. And um, I was like, oh, but I don't know how to plate using a spoon. You know, I've learnt with tweezers. So give me a second to readjust. And um, just seeing how for him it was all about, you know, leaving vegetables and fish meat are perfect in their own way and you don't need to shape them blend them, blitz them. I'd gone from, you know, probably manual overly handling things and chopping and changing things, which is was a great experience on its own, to then completely the opposite and just leaving things alone. So that was incredible. What was it like for you when you came back to Australia? Um, that was a really challenging experience, to be honest. Um I came back just as COVID was starting as well. So it was an interesting time to be looking for work and all those sort of career path things. Um, I guess the other challenging part for me was where did I want to work? Now that I had all this incredible experience overseas, what did I want to do with it and where did I see myself fitting in back into Sydney? And obviously things changed so quickly. I was overseas for almost four years and it was like coming back to the food scene was completely different and I didn't know where to eat. I didn't know where to work. I didn't know who's who anymore and I didn't know where to start. So I think I was sort of applying for a few places and you know, everyone was saying with COVID, we're not hiring at the moment, which, you know, in turn was a blessing. But um, 
it kind of felt for me like I was left a little bit uninspired and because there were so many people over in the UK doing all these weird and wonderful things that I was sort of like, oh, you know, is the Sydney scene at the, at the same place as London? And I think I sort of came back going, oh, no, this is it, – it's not as good. And then very quickly I sort of – once I started eating out again, I was like, okay, no, it's not that it's better or worse. It's just a different scene. And the way that we eat and the way that we approach food and the way that we dine in Sydney is a lot more relaxed and, again, a lot more of that expression of just leaving food alone and just having a good time rather than focusing on tablecloths and things like that as they do in the UK. Um, so it was just, I guess, adapting and changing my mindset again and learning how to dine out in Sydney and how to appreciate things. And in some ways it sort of felt like I had reached the peak, you know, in kitchens and obviously working in some of some of the most amazing places in the world. It was sort of like I had already won the grand final and, you know, I was already at the peak and, you know, the peak doesn't get any higher. So how do I find a place where I still feel like I can be at my best, but now it was about bringing everybody else up around me and not about standing out. It was about what I could provide to the Sydney food scene. Um, so it was, it was just a, a weird adap- adaptation, I guess, and ha- I did take a little bit of time to sort of readjust, I guess, and realise that, you know, I wasn't in London anymore and it was very different and different wasn't necessarily a bad thing. In, in fact, I found it much better over here. When you made that um, move into away from the kitchen to the front of house, was mm-hmm. were there challenges involved with that? Definitely. Um, I guess my first front of house role um, once I had come back was during COVID and the only thing that was open was takeaway or cafes and things like that. So I just went and worked in a cafe um, at the time and it was sort of like a little bit of a, a relaxation for me and I was sort of like, oh, I'll just do this during COVID and then see where I'm at afterwards. And then that's, you know, those five-minute interactions that people come and get their coffee with you in the morning and you have those, you know, 30-second chats of, hey, how are the kids? And you build those relationships with people and, you know, their coffee order and you know what they're doing this day and you know that they have a really big meeting coming up and just building those relationships five minutes at a time over a three-month period was something that sort of was like, okay, no, I do want to do front of house and this is where I want to be. Um, which was a really you know, not not how I expected that experience for me to go. I thought it was just going to be a little bit of break from the kitchen, but it turned out to be so much more for me. Um, just as well, general skill things as well. And I think I realized that I needed to, I guess, brush up on my level of skill of, you know, being a waiter at the end of the day. Um you know, I, it had been years since I had been on the floor and when you're in front of house service in the UK, in back of house service in the UK, there were a few places that got you to do some front of house training as well since you was customer facing still. Um, so it wasn't like I was completely green, but just sort of remembering, you know, how to carry plates and, you know, clearing tables and setting and all those little sort of touch points that make you, you know, a better waiter. I had to, I had to remind myself of and and learn and retrain I guess a little bit so that was interesting. 
you had a you had a role um, for a period of time with Bodhi Restaurant, a vegan yum cha. Um, tell us what that was like. Um, that was a unique experience for many reasons. Um, my first restaurant manager position, um, as well as being a yum cha restaurant that I'd never worked in, so getting to learn the clientele who had been coming there for 30 years telling me that's not how we do it here. And I was like, oh, hang on, <laughs> this is this is backwards. Like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> There's, you know, they were training me, I guess, and, and learning what they wanted and what they'd come to know and love um, about Bodhi and what it meant for so many people and hearing some of the stories about how there were, you know, cancer patients going through chemo who couldn't eat anything except the food at Bodhi and how and what it meant to the people in the community. Um, being vegan, again, is another level of, um, I guess, learning and education for me on, you know, allergies, dietaries, all these bits and pieces and what people can and can't eat and what people want to eat as well. Um it was a very eye-opening experience for me in the sense of, you know, your natural – and for me being in kitchens, my natural thing when we were talking about cocktail development or menu development, you know, I'd never done anything vegan before. So it, that was another element as well in going, oh, hang on, we can't use butter. What else can we use? And I'm, I want to make a coffee. Oh, wait, we only have oat milk. You know, <laughs> just those small little adaptations as well and – um, it was a very rewarding experience at the end of the day. Um, I was lucky enough to have a fantastic team, um, that we sort of rebuilt. And I think it was one of the best management teams that I had worked with in the end. And the, particularly the women that I worked with, it was pretty much an all female team at the time. Um, they were incredible and incredibly supportive and I learned a lot. We've had Heaven Lee on uh, the show before. Do you have any stories of what it was like working with her? She's just a bundle of fun, to be honest. She is just always high octane and there was always something going on. And um, whenever she'd walk into the restaurant, she would always have a story for you. And we're like, what's what's on Heaven's plate today? What's she doing today? You know, she was always sort of looking for opportunity and um, – always had her eyes wide open. You know, she'd walk in the restaurant and go, that table's not straight. Um, this person needs new chopsticks. You know, she was always very clued into the minor details as well as, you know, what opportunity can we do next? And Laura, what do you need? And how can we grow your career? And what can we do for you? So, um, yeah, so quite an interesting person to work for. And, and again, had a lot of stories from what it was like when, you know, her mum was running the venue and, and when she was, you know, 16, 18 and would go to the restaurant after school to work and, and hearing the stories that she brought to the table and was sort of like, oh, wow, you know, again, this big family era and big dynasty, I guess, and how it all unfolded. How did the, the gig with the Love Tilly group come about? Um, well, when, the, when Bodhi shut down, um, I unfortunately was looking for a position um, had a had a couple of opportunities come up, um, and then Regazzi was sort of 
the place I enjoyed being in the most, I guess the team, the size, the the style of offering. Um, again, I was very familiar with pasta. So, um, and compared to all the other venues that I was interviewing at or exploring options with, um, it felt the most natural for me and the most the most homely and and I guess a little bit familiar. Um, which sort of pushed me towards that option. Has your background, you know, with chefing, has it helped you in the current role that you have of restaurant manager? Oh, without a doubt. I wouldn't be anywhere near uh, the restaurant manager that I am without that experience. And I think um, those little moments of um, those realisations on a day-to-day service when I sort of will go over to the kitchen and I notice things that other restaurant managers or even, you know, my assistant manager sometimes don't notice because of that experience. And I definitely think that it has 100% made me a better restaurant manager. Also because when I'm making decisions or having discussions about um, things we want to change or develop in the restaurant, I think about it from the kitchen's point of view as well. It's not just about front of house. It's, you know, that exactly one team, one dream sort of cliche saying. It's how will it affect the guys in the kitchen and, you know, front of house might have capacity to take on a little bit more today, but maybe back of house is struggling and have we thought about it from their perspective? And I think it's just given me a little bit extra depth in my in my role for for young people that have sort of entered the industry recently, what sort of advice would you give to them about broadening their sort of careers in hospitality? I would definitely suggest exploring options. Um, for me, I love food and I love my time that I spent in kitchens. Um, and what front of house provides me is so different. And it's not that I love it more or less. It's just a very different experience for me. And I'm so grateful that I was a chef when I was younger and that I've, you know, maybe got a little bit more maturity now to be able to handle a front of house role um, and the way that you interact with customers and and all these sorts of things. Um, it's one of those situations where I always sort of say to people just to follow their gut and if their gut instinct like mine was telling me go and be a chef then just do it and hospitality is such a fun industry and it's one of those industries where you never stop learning and I think that's the most exciting part for me when I took on this role we had a um a a brief point where I needed to take on some more of the sommelier duties as well And I have done my WSET level two basic wine training, but was nowhere at the experience level of a sommelier at the time and was sort of found myself facing this this task of, oh, okay, I need to take on this role. I need to learn more. And wine is one of those exact things where there is so much for you to learn that you never stop learning because you might learn every vineyard and every grape in the world, but then next year the the weather is a little bit different. So all the new vintages taste different. So I think it's one of those things that um, is constantly evolving and constantly changing and people are 
always wanting to challenge themselves and change and be more creative. So it's definitely one of those things where if you start out as a chef and then you realize that you don't like it or it's not for you or you've changed, there is so much opportunity for you to grow as a person and um, in your hospitality career. You know, I've seen people go from chefs to event managers to restaurant managers to bar managers. So I think it's just it's something, it's a career that I genuinely believe that you can do for life. Well, you've uh, built an amazing career. What, what do you love about what you do? Um, I love my team, to be honest. I love seeing their development and um, seeing them grow in confidence and their wine knowledge, their customer-facing skills. Um, so I love sort of that development side and education, I guess. Um, I love seeing when customers um, come in and they're maybe not as happy as we want them to be and then when they leave, they've got a massive smile on their face and when you're able to turn a situation around and I think there's sort of a, a challenge to that in itself and I always sort of go, oh, how do I make the unhappy people happy? You know, not everyone comes in with, understanding what we do and how we do it and and I think it's about building a relationship really quickly and and how you can I guess just make everyone leave with a smile on their face but doing it their way as well as your own and I think that's something that we sort of remember all the time at Regazzi as well it's sort of like yes here's our way and here's how we want to do it but you know how can we make it how can we make everybody happy everyone has a different level of expectation and and how can we just make this a really nice place for everybody to be? Well, Laura, it's uh, amazing to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. Look forward to seeing what unfolds from here. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you, definitely. It's been lovely chatting to you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>